Welcome to the daily objective. There's recently been a change in uh, Illinois, I believe, that they abolished cash bail. Basically that uh, if you are waiting for a trial, uh, you could you know, uh, pay money. You basically have a judge hearing, uh, you know, James, correct me if I'm wrong. You have a judge hearing and if they think uh, you will not pose too much danger to the public and that you will not try to escape, you can pay a little bit of money uh, or depending on the severity of the case, you pay money uh, before before you go to the trial. And when you actually get to the trial, uh, you will actually arrive, they will give you the money back. So it's to kind of ensure safety. So let's discuss a little bit about the cash bail. And before we move to the specifics about the Illinois and maybe even specifics about the cash bail, uh, James, and uh, welcome James. It's great, great to have you on with your legal expertise. Happy to be here. We'll discuss, <laughs> yeah, we'll discuss uh, first a little bit about the history of cash bail. But before that, today's sponsor, today's episode is sponsored by Quent Corder Fine Art. More about them later in the video. So, James, can you tell us a little bit about the history of cash bail? When did it start? Uh, how did it expand? Well, let's understand and so the nature of arrests, criminal arrests, and criminal charges. If I'm walking down the street, a cop can't just, a police officer can't just stop me and detain me against my will. I can keep walking. Uh, the cop says, hey, Jim, you want to talk? I can just keep walking like anybody else. A police officer cannot detain me, even temporarily. And depending on the circumstances, not stop me and pat me down even for weapons, even temporarily, unless there is an objective evidence-based reason to believe that there's a, a crime that he is reasonably suspicious of. In other words, if I see someone running two blocks away from, the, I'm a cop heading to the scene of a, a commercial burglary, and I see someone who is described to me as the criminal wearing a dark hoodie, let's say, running two blocks from the scene of that crime, does the officer have reasonable suspicion? Yes, but only reasonable suspicion to detain him. In order to arrest him, the officer needs probable cause, objective evidence that will later convince a judge, that will later convince a judge that the guy probably committed the crime. If I see someone, there's a, a burglar alarm that goes off and someone is crawling out by a rope from a third story window at one o'clock in the morning and they've got a pile and they've got a bag over their <laughs> the shoulder that makes it look like they were just stealing stuff. Does the cop have a right to stop the person? And is there probably, and if he has stolen property in his possession, immediately upon exiting that place, is there probable cause to believe he ripped off the place? Yes, there is. He's probably guilty. He's probably guilty. The person gets arrested by the police. They get booked into jail. And immediately someone like what I did, a prosecutor, gets that. And he has a short, the clock is now ticking when the person is arrested. I have two days, 48 hours under the California rules when I was a prosecutor to get that guy in front of a judge and to explain to the judge the charges and everything else. <laughs> and if there was no probable cause for the police to arrest him, then guess what? The arrest goes away. The charge goes away. If the judge later determines there was not enough evidence for probable cause for the prosecutor to file charge, I've got to review it and be able to say I can prove this to a jury 
a month from now, two months from now, beyond a reasonable doubt, with reasonable certainty. So for me to file the charge, to keep him in jail for more than a couple of days, I, as a prosecutor, have to put my reputation on the line and say, I can prove with certainty this guy's guilty. And that's the only way you can keep him in jail before the bail hearing or the initial arraignment in front of the judge. That's it. And guess what? The conviction rates, when I was a prosecutor in San Diego, we had 95, 96% conviction rates. If we charged you with a crime, you were 96% of the time, you were going to come out with the uh, charge that we uh, uh, were charging you with. You're guilty. You're guilty 96% of the time. Now, why is that? Because we have to have proof beyond a reasonable doubt. We have to convince a unanimous jury that there's no doubt. If you think he's probably guilty and you have a doubt in your mind, you vote not guilty, not guilty, even if you think he's probably guilty. Now, since I have to have proof on that level, we have a huge successful conviction rate. So most of the folks charged with crimes within two days are going to end up guilty. And I mean, 90 some percent in any decent jurisdiction. So understand that context there. Um, the, at any time there was no probable cause for the arrest or for the search, that gets thrown out. So the idea was you get uh, you've committed a crime, a violent crime, a, a, a robbery, let's say, of a, a, a local convenience store. Do we keep you in jail or do we let you out of jail when we know that the police had probable cause to arrest you for that? Well, eliminating cash bail says we let them out. That's it. Now, there's different jurisdictions, California, New York, New Jersey, all preceded New Illinois in their reforms of cash bail. And they said, we're going to eliminate cash bail because it's unfair. If you're rich, the judge can say, hey, there's $100,000, there's a million dollars, and you can post a bond. There's bonds people who would post the whole bail for a certain percentage of that so that rich people get out pending their charges. Now, if you're in pending charges, the time you're in jail doesn't go away. It gets credited against whatever sentence you'll later get. It comes off your time. So if that rich person is out of jail pending their trial, that doesn't eliminate the six months that they'd have to uh, serve in their sentence should they be convicted. And like I say, 90 plus percent of the time, they are convicted when prosecutors charge so them. Uh, if we are already talking about this, can us can you tell us what would happen if you you uh, you cannot pay uh bail uh pay uh, uh bail, uh you stay in jail and later even the you know you said four percent but four percent is still a lot of people yeah. will uh actually get uh will will not or, go to yeah. prison. What what would happen then? Is there some sort of it, it will depend upon whether or not there was probable cause to arrest them in the first place. Was there an objective basis that the cops had to arrest you? Was there a good faith basis that the prosecution had to charge you? If they have violated your civil rights, if they violated search and seizure to get you there, if in fact the evidence was fraudulent brought by the state, you've got a civil rights case. But let's say that the police were acting in good faith they actually had apparent probable cause. There is maybe some innocent reason why you were climbing out of that window at two in the morning with a bag over your shoulder. And But did that mean that the police were acting unreasonably? No. Did they have a reasonable basis to arrest you for that? And do you have a right to a speedy trial? Absolutely. So you can say, I want my trial right now and I want to prove it because I can prove my innocence. But if the police were acting reasonably, there is no recourse if you're acquitted, because after all, the police were acting reasonably to protect the public. They had objectively probable cause, even for that minority of cases. 
But in many of those minority of cases, if your civil rights were violated, you would have a case against the police for false arrest or for violating your civil rights. There are protections at the other end. But wait a minute, if the government was acting in good faith, had an objective reason that said you were probably guilty of the crime, then I'm sorry, you that pendency was a reasonable, uh, waiting for trial, it was a reasonable thing, uh, it seems to me. Now, once upon a time, everyone's waited in the hooskow, waited in jail for the pendency of their uh, uh, charges. Cash bail came along to say, well, look, if I can afford it, there's two factors that are important. The danger to the public that the judge has to assess and their flight risk, will they come back to court? Well, if you don't impose some kind of string like bail, they will frequently disappear and never come back at all. And that's the end of ever seeing them. Uh, uh, With danger to the public, again, the prosecution has to actually put on evidence in these places where there's no cash bail to prove to the judge that, in effect, part of their case, that this guy really is a danger to the public and the burden is on the prosecution to come up with this evidence within just a day or two of the person's arrest. That is totally unreasonable burden to put on the prosecution. And in many jurisdictions, the DAs have become very light on crimes. In some jurisdictions, it's nonviolent crimes and misdemeanors that uh, cash bail has been eliminated for. In some jurisdictions, they have hearings where the judge can determine your danger and your flight risk, but that puts an additional burden on the prosecution. In Illinois, they're simply eliminating cash bail and replacing it with a hearing where the judge with a prosecution has to pretty darn quick prove that this guy really is a danger to the public or a flight risk. But in recent years, we have seen uh, uh, all kinds of increased violence and crime especially in cities where DAs are not being aggressive against criminals. This, criminals are a very small minority. And all of the crimin, all the crimes, 99% of the crimes, are committed by the same small 1% of the population over and over and over and over and over and over. It's not like most people are criminals. No, in fact, a very small percentage of the population are criminals. But this small percentage of the population do all the crimes. They're recidivists. Criminals tend to be the guys who do it over and over and over and over and over. And so this approach that says, well, no, let them out because it's unfair, is actually just jeopardizing the safety of the public in my mind. Now, it's very important what the crimes are. If we have a bunch of crimes that are like drug crimes, if uh, you know smoking pot or possessing pot is a crime, then of course, I don't think there's a relationship to the safety of the public. So we have a whole bunch of crimes that don't relate to the actual physical safety of the public. Those crimes are different categorically in my mind, and they do have a disproportionate and unfair effect on the poor and minorities, drug laws and many other kinds of laws like that. If we got rid of those laws, most of that unfairness would go away. If we were only talking about armed robbers, assault with a deadly weapon, rapists, murderers, violent criminals, then we'd be looking at a whole different world. Is there a relationship between, say, rich people being able to post bond and their return to court? Well, yeah. So before we move to a little bit the okay. the arguments they use for abolishing the bell, uh, let's yeah. hear more about today's sponsor, Quint Corder Fine Art. James, oh, yeah. would you like to 
to the end. Well, thank you for the sense of life relief here from the topic, <laughs> because here it's something very, very positive to mention. You know, we're very grateful for our sponsors, uh, Quent Cordaire Fine Arts. And Quent Cordaire Fine Arts has been making the world an even more beautiful place for 27 years specializing in romantic realist paintings and sculptures the gallery's collection emphasizes themes which celebrate the moments of happiness joy and success possible to man on earth ladies and gentlemen acquire art you will want to live with by visiting them online at cordair.com or in their napa california and jackson wyoming locations two very beautiful locations by the way the new iron post uh, uh, portrait uh, prints are, have arrived and you can visit the link in the description there'll be a link down there and the pinned comment to get yours today for every print purchased with the code a r c u k quent cordaire fine art will donate 25 dollars american to the ayn rand center uk so you can both improve your life dramatically and and ladies and gentlemen help us do this important work here the ayn rand center uk Thank you, Quent Cordair Fine Heart. Thank you. So you already started on this, but yeah, let's talk about the arguments they use for abolishing. So the first one, uh, and I think the one they, especially in today's age, they made the biggest fuss about is the wealth disparities. Rich people will pay the bail at all times. They will have no problem and poor people are forced to stay in jail. Well, if that were your real concern, why not eliminate the cash bail for the rich people or increase the amounts of bail or make the bail so high that even rich people couldn't afford it? Why not fix it, keep rich people in jail pending the, the crime? Why do we let the majority of people charged with violent crimes out? No, if you've got two choices, you think that it's unfair. Rich people are getting an unfair advantage. Uh, most of the people are too poor to, to uh, post the bail. Some people are rich enough to post the bail. So what would you do with violent crimes, Daniel? Would you let all the majority of people charged with violent crimes who there's probable cause, objective probable cause they committed this violent crime? And would you let most of them out pending the trial? Or would you uh, eliminate the bail uh, for the rich people? Uh, if, if those are the two choices, obviously I keep the rich people in jail and keep everyone with probable cause that they committed some act of violence in jail pending their uh, trial. No, instead they've opted for letting the majority of people out, the poor people out, because after all, they, these rich people had this advantage for so long. Well, that first of all, it's the wrong approach uh, anyway, it seems to me. You'd go on the rich end, not the poor end. Uh, to, to clean up that and keep the community safety of the community from these violent thugs is the more important value, it seems to me. But yeah, this... I, will also, I will also add that there is a correlation between your ability to post bail and your likelihood to return to court, because after all, you don't want to lose the $100,000 or million dollars that the judge required in bail. And secondly, there's a correlation even between safety to the public. You're less likely to reoffend if you are on the, if the judge has you on a tight string called bail, you will forfeit all that money if you commit any other criminal offense during the pendency of that. You know, it's an additional uh, uh, allegation. If you commit your crime while you're out on bail, that adds time to the new charge. You'll get extra time if you commit a crime while out on bail. Now, it seems to me that's the correct approach 
to uh, solving this inequality issue, uh, adding penalties for people who are out on bail who commit new crimes. But in any event, just posting bail, there's a correlation between your a less likelihood of committing reoffending uh, and a much higher likelihood of returning to court. There is a causal relationship between your ability to post bail and the safety to the public and their return to court. And if they are convicted, like they are in 90 plus percent of the cases when the jurisdiction is doing it well, then they'll have to do the full term and not get credit for the time that they'd already served like the people who stayed in jail got. Yeah, there's this whole attitude. I even I read a couple of articles and th there's this attitude of, oh, OK, how do we help these people? How do we uh, make sure they don't suffer in jail? Uh, but the whole like they are in there for a reason. It's almost yeah. like it, it's almost like these people who are against cash bail are thinking, oh, they just randomly like appear there. How can we help them? They well, like even the number you said, 96 percent of them will get convicted. That was our jurisdiction for just about the entire 18 years I was there at the San Diego District Attorney's Office. All good prosecution offices offices in those days had that kind of conviction rate because we didn't charge people that we didn't know we could prove. And so whether it was a guilty plea or otherwise, it turned out to be a, a guilty. Uh, uh, now, as I say before, if there really was no probable cause, the judge will throw it out and can throw it out before trial. And in fact, in that first hearing, that bail hearing or that arraignment where I'm get that I have so much time as a prosecutor, the clock is ticking. I got to get that guy charged in jail in front of a judge. And the judge will say, Mr. Prosecutor, what evidence? Can you tell me what evidence you got? Can you tell me what evidence you got? And I've got to tell the judge, yeah, I've got his fingerprints on the murder weapon, judge. Well, OK, we're going to set bail it. You see? Um, so I, I, by the time you get to the bail hearing, there's already been so much done uh, contributing to the fact that the the guy probably did it. He, he still deserves and probably is, is not enough. That's important to say. It has to be beyond a reasonable doubt, but that's decided at court. But as a prosecutor, I won't even charge the guy unless I know that I've got proof beyond a reasonable doubt. I won't even do that. I have to review all the evidence. And before I make the charge, and there are times where we let people out pending without any bail, whatever, if we don't know that, while well, we continue to investigate the case. And then and only then will we ask him to come back to court when we've finished our investigation for an arraignment. Uh, we have to, as a prosecutor, we have to have proof beyond a reasonable doubt, even when we file the charge. And like I say, if there was some civil rights violation, if there really was no probable cause for the arrest, the whole case will go away and probably pretty early. And so, you can have civil recourse and sue the government if they violated your civil rights under the Civil Rights Act, of uh, Section 1983 uh, of the Civil Rights Act. You can sue them if they arrested you without probable cause or violated your civil rights. So what you said, uh, in a sense, we already do not have cash bail and that's when there is not enough evidence against you then you know you are let free but if there is a cash bail there is uh, even you said beyond reasonable uh, reasonable doubt at least in your view as a prosecutor that they are guilty that is absolutely correct so uh it seems to me cash bail is not the unfair system that they uh in fact it's a direct protection of the physical safety of the public 
It really, really is. And there are times that the case is serious enough. If it's a murder case, uh, certainly a serial murder case or a torture murder case or a serial rapist, the judge can deny bail altogether. Sorry, you're not getting out. You're just too dangerous. If there's probable cause and the prosecutor thinks there's proof beyond a reasonable doubt that you're a serial killer, the judge is not going to let you out of jail at all. Uh, so we have a little bit of time, so let's discuss uh, some of the other points brought against uh, or for abolishing cash bail. And, for example, the case of racial bias, that the minority groups are disproportionately uh, targeted with cash, either high cash bail or the fact that they cannot pay for it. But no, the judge actually, you know, usually sees the ability of the defendant to pay because uh, indigent, yeah, everyone has a right to a lawyer in America. And if you can't afford an, a, law, a lawyer, you've got to fill out a financial declaration that says, I can't afford an, a, law, a lawyer, assign me a public defender, a government defense lawyer. Um, so the judge in those cases of poor people, it's in the cases of poor people, the judge has these financial statements in front of him about whether or not they get a public lawyer or not. He knows their ability to pay. And I have never seen a judge. And if a judge is racist about his application of the amount of bail, that's a civil rights violation you can sue the government for. Now, are there certain crimes that disproportionately affect minorities? Yeah, the drug laws, for example. I think all those drug laws should be abolished. And a great deal of the racial disproportionate nature of our criminal justice system would be eliminated by that simple fact. Now, when it comes to crimes of violence, is there a disproportionate number of minorities who commit crimes? Of well, there's a disproportionate number of minorities who are victims of crimes of violence. Most of the shooting victims disproportionately in this country are minorities from poor neighborhoods. What about their rights? What about the rights of the poor people who are shot in drive-by shootings in Chicago? It is minorities who are also victims of crimes disproportionately if they're violent crimes. So in that sense, the racial disparity is just the way it happens to be if that's the way it is with violent crimes. If they're disproportionately defendants of those, they're also disproportionately victims of those. So why do we ignore the larger number, i.e. the victims, to protect the smaller number, the perpetrators of violent crimes who are the minority? It makes no sense to me. So we already discussed a couple of these points, but these two are related. So the the case of overcrowded jails, uh, you know, if people cannot pay uh, uh, bail, you have too many people in jails, they get overcrowded, and also the the cost of them, you know, if you have so many people in jail, uh, it costs a lot of government. Half the people in American jails and prisons are there for nonviolent drug offenses. Um, like I say, the, most of the problem there would go away if we got rid of these so-called victimless crimes, um, and we could double the capacity of our jails and prisons, double the effectiveness of our police officers, by the way, without spending a single dime if we got rid of those completely unjust and stupid drug laws, in my view. So it's the category of things that are crimes. If you got rid of the things that shouldn't be crimes from being crimes, you would have, you would, <laughs> my friend, you would clear out American, Americans are incarcerated at an extremely high rate. We have an effective police force, but a lot of what they're doing is putting drug addicts behind bars. If we didn't simply put drug addicts in jail, uh, we could have uh, we could solve that resource issue tomorrow. So the solution is eliminating uh, 
like a, a lot of even when I when I read the article, a lot of them when they talk about the people who abuse drugs and go to jail, uh, a lot of these people, uh, a lot of these problems can be eliminated by again legalizing drugs. Even the the racial bias, the poor bias, all of them can be solved so easily you know, without you know, eliminating cash bail. And you know, a lot of the crimes rich people get out when they're posting bail are are federal crimes that are totally nonsense uh insider trading laws that put martha stewart in prison uh you know other securities laws uh things like that uh the the federal laws and economic regulations that can put yeah, any trust laws can put businessmen in jail so i mean uh and those are the folks who will post bail because they've got the money but those crimes shouldn't even be crimes um so if we got rid of the stuff that shouldn't the the crimes that shouldn't be crimes that would solve this problem to a large extent in my view so I think it's about time we wrap up the episode. Uh, if James, can you tell us? Well, before we go to James, uh, first, thank you, Jeff, uh, for your super sticker. And also thank you, Jonathan, for your super sticker. Uh, James, can you tell us a little bit more about today's sponsor? God, yes. You know, the all you have to do is take a stroll through their uh, gallery to see what beauty and inspiration you'll find there. That's my own personal note here. But I'll just say again, Quent Cordaire Fine Arts has been making the world an even more beautiful place for 27 years, uh, absolutely, more than a quarter of a century, um, specializing in romantic, realist paintings and sculptures. The gallery's collection emphasizes themes which celebrate the moments of happiness, joy, and success possible to man on earth. Acquire art you'll wanna live with, beautiful art, ladies and gentlemen by visiting them online at cordair.com and in their Napa, California and Jackson, Wyoming locations and to two more beautiful locations in America are hard to find. The new Ayn Rand portrait prints have arrived and you can visit the link in the description and the pinned comment to get yours today. For every print purchased with the code A-R-C-U-K, Quent Cordaire Fine Art will donate $25 American to the Ayn Rand Center UK. God, that, that is a win-win for everybody. And I really urge you uh, to go visit their site um, or their galleries. Thank you, okay. Quint, Quint Linda Cordaire. Thank you. And I actually will have Linda in uh, the reality show coming up in about two minutes. Let me just quickly pull up. Uh, it's going to be about Thomas Friedman's uh, article and also the statement that we shouldn't normalize Israel. Israel is a country we should not, not, not the Palestinian terrorists or Hamas. We shouldn't normalize Israel. Okay, well, uh, that's got to be a discussion that you guys can't miss. And that's just coming up in minutes. And also the country that should not normalize Israel is Saudi Arabia oh. of all countries. So link for the reality show is in the chat. We'll see you in a couple of minutes. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.